Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 6, 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation with sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, Do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, We are moving from the season of happy to the season of merry, and I don't understand how this all works, but this is the way my brain works. I go, okay, everything is happy. Happy birthday, happy Valentine's Day, happy St. Patrick's Day, and then in December, all of a sudden, we have to get merry. So I don't know what the difference between merry and happy is, but welcome to the season of merry. And if your name is merry, hey, that's even better. Um, My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church of the Well. I'm excited that you're here. We're going to be continuing through the book of Ecclesiastes, as Christy just read. Um, I'm going to kind of plug some of these announcements. So one of the things that has been told to me over and over, especially through COVID, and I'm so ready to stop talking about COVID, so this is going to be it. 
um, is, man, we didn't have any opportunities to serve our immediate community. So this is, I'm just going to just say this, like, and if this is guilt, fine, okay? Um, you have two opportunities to serve your community. So if you don't take those opportunities, you do not have the right to come and tell me that we're not serving our community. Fair? So I expect that tree to almost be empty when everybody leaves, and I expect Crossroads to be overwhelmed with these amazing gifts from um, the people that serve here. Two more things. One, um, today is the beginning of Advent, and I decided this year that we weren't gonna go through Advent as a church. Instead, I'm giving you opportunities and some resources to go through it as a family. Okay, so we have this little booklet here called Joy to the World by John Piper. It's in the back there. You can grab one of these. It'll take you through devotionals um, starting December 1st all the way through Christmas. And so if that's interest you, you can grab one of those. And then this thing here. Okay, so don't tell me there aren't benefits to being a covenant member. Okay, if you are a covenant member of Church at the Well, we have a gift for you. Okay, so this gift you get one per family. It is a, uh, a book that's going to take you through the Advent season as a family. So I believe Abigail will be in the back. If you're a covenant member, go up, grab one, um, and she will check you off the list so that you're not grabbing more than one as a family, right? If you're single, you only get one as well. Um, but go ahead and grab that, and then we'll move through. And then I'm going to call an audible and say that next week we're going to start our Christmas series because the more I've studied this passage and everybody who leads all of this stuff just panics. Um, and that's cool, but um, I feel like this passage of Scripture moves right into where we're headed. All right, enough announcements. We're going to talk today about tension. Um, any in your life? Anybody have any tension? So tension, how do we handle it? What do we do with it? And what I'm realizing as I've gotten older is that the secret of life is being able to manage the tensions and Typically, these tensions tend to be paradoxical. These paradoxical tensions in our life and to find the ways to apply Jesus to all of those tensions. Now, you know this. When tensions occur, you have a couple of options. You ignore the tension, and that messes with you, right? You embrace the tension with everything in you, and that overwhelms you. So somewhere in the middle, we find this balance between the realities that tension will always be present in this world and my need to not be overwhelmed or destroyed by the tension that's presented to me. Amen? Let's go home, right? So what Pastor Solomon is going to do here is he's going to provide an example of that tension. And I'm gonna spend, I mean, this is a long passage. I'm gonna spend a little bit of time going to this example and then I wanna push us into the application component as quickly as possible. But I want you to think through some of the tensions that are paradoxical. Like he's gonna bring one up that's gonna talk about the rich and the poor and we know that even Jesus said, we're always going to have rich and poor, right? That's always going to be the case. As long as we live on this earth before Jesus comes back, we're gonna have rich and poor. That's a tension that we have to manage. But what are some other tensions that we have to manage, right? It's how do we enjoy the things of life without them becoming an addiction? That's one of them. How do we work hard and not become a workaholic? How do we balance the tensions of the need to survive, if I lead into this, 
and the ultimate end of getting greedy with what we've got. These tensions are real. And I think the first thing that we have to grasp is that the denial that your life is going to be lived in tension and this, I don't know if it's like an American thing or not, we're just like, we have to remove all tension. It's, it, that's a fairy tale. Okay, now I haven't seen the new Disney movie yet called Disenchanted, all right? And maybe you've seen it. There was an original one called Enchanted. I found it fascinating that the next one's called Disenchanted, right? Here's the paradox. The first one, which I did see, was about an individual who was looking for something and wanted to be enchanted by all of these things. It also had this other kind of meaning, right? But this happily ever after component. Now, once again, I haven't seen a new one yet. I'm enchanted by the idea of happily ever after. The next one, I'm disenchanted by the idea of happily ever after. There's a tension. How do we live within that tension? And so you turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting at verse 8. We're going to be given one of these. It says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor, and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. Like, it's fascinating that oftentimes we'll see an injustice going on and we're like, I can't believe that that injustice is happening, right? And then we spend so much time of our day complaining about the injustice and the reality of the injustice, and then we wanna bring everybody else into the emotions that we're feeling over that injustice, and we just make everybody miserable. Why? Because the injustice exists and it can't be taken care of. It's constant. It's always there. Don't be amazed. We start there. Don't be amazed by tension. Don't be amazed that there's evil in the world. Don't be amazed that we're going to see things that are unfair. Don't be amazed by this idea that there's going to be people who have different things than other people. Don't be amazed by the issues. Don't be amazed that sin exists. Every week I say we live in a sin-cursed world, sin-cursed bodies. Don't be amazed by that. It's... It's fact. It's reality. We can't escape it. The only person that's going to be able to free us from that is Jesus. So I think it's interesting that he's just saying right off the bat, some of you just need to hear that today. Because you spend so much time just going, I can't believe. I can't believe life is so hard. Are you serious? I'm just going to tell you right now, life is always hard. Okay, it's always going to be hard. And you say, well, it just seems like things roll into the next. Yep, that's life. I, I've lived 47 years. I can tell you right now, it's always hard. People that have lived older than me, if you talk to them, you know what they're gonna tell you? It's always hard. You get to a point where you think life is going to get easy, and then what happens? It gets hard, right? So don't be amazed by it. Don't let that overwhelm you. Keep going. Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. We're going to move into this idea of rich and poor and how we handle money and what that means. And once again, it's just an analogy for the tensions that we're going to feel. However, one of the things that's important for us to grasp here is that as Solomon introduces this concept, he, he shows us both sides of the tension, and I want you to catch this. He says, it's, the tension is this. The, in order for people to be oppressed, there has to be people who are oppressing, right? So we know that. There's two sides here. Now, 
there's also this, this thing where sometimes when we think, okay, in order to eliminate the oppression, what we need to do is eliminate the oppressors. Maybe. Sometimes that happens. We need to do that, right? But what he is saying is there's this fine line between knowing that we need people who are going to lead. We need visionaries. We need entrepreneurs. Trying to move this into our realm. We need individuals who are pioneers. We need people who are willing to take risks. We need upper management because that's how things get done, right? And there are benefits to that. So if I just, I mean, we can, we can figure this out from just a really simple question. So if I were to say to you, and it doesn't matter how old you are, has anybody in here ever benefited from an employer? Raise your hand. Excellent. Has anybody in here ever been completely oppressed by an employer? Same people, right? It's amazing. So what Solomon's trying to do here is he's going, look, it's, it's, yeah, the system can be broken. There can always be broken systems. We can always try to do things better. But the reality is in the current world that we're living in, you're always going to find benefit and you're always going to find issue with everything that goes on, everything, All right? Nothing, nothing in your life will ever be 100% beneficial for you. You will always find a complaint to something, right? If so... I, this is just like, I remember I was talking to a lady, this was years ago, and she was telling me about a vacation that her and her husband took that she won for free, right? So they won a free cruise, I think it was, and they went on the cruise, and I'm like, oh, that's so exciting, like, that's so cool, and she's like, yeah, but it wasn't a very good cruise, and I'm like, it was free, right? Like, you were on a boat in the ocean, in tropical locations, correct? Yes. Did they feed you? Yeah. How was the food? It was okay. It wasn't my favorite, but it was good. Did you pay anything? No, it was all free. I'm like, what are you complaining about? It was free, right? It's, it's interesting. Like, oftentimes, the things that we tend to get for free are the things that we want to complain about the most, and that t- tells us how we work, right? Somebody comes up to you, and you're like, they, they say, they give you a compliment, man, you look really nice today. And then somewhere in the back of your mind, you're going to go, what did they mean by that? So do I not look nice on the other days? Right? And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can take anything that you want that would be a positive and create tension around it and find the negative, right? And that's just life. It is. It's life. I love coffee. There's bad coffee out there. There's good coffee out there. We'll find, we will find something to destroy and pick about and complain about to every blessing that the Lord has given us. It's fascinating. We're messed up people, right? And we, it, it, it's overwhelming. And Solomon's trying to acknowledge that here, saying that tension's not going to go away. And then he's going to take this example and move it to some extremes for us. And this is what I want to move through kind of quickly. Now, I have to explain how this passage is set up. Because if you're not, if you haven't grown up in church world or you don't spend a lot of time in Scripture, first, I'm going to encourage you to do that because you should. God's Word. He created you. This is what he's telling you to do. Okay? However, this is a complex passage. But it's not as complex as it initially sounds. It's divided into kind of these sections So there's kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. (laughs) That's so 
so clever, right? Okay, the beginning and the end function the same. It's the middle that we're going to focus on the most. The middle is the solution to the tension. And it's interesting. I love, if you're an artistic person or you like poetry or you're one of those like free kind of thinkers, it's fascinating that as he introduces this topic, even the way he writes it sandwiches the solution between two tensions. Interesting, right? So we have, if you look at the beginnings and the end, it's basically going to talk about the issues that exist within the tension. So I'm going to work through those quickly. Here we go. Starting at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Okay, that's enough. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Um, what I get out of this is that basically the love of money is a sad investment. Okay, because it's never going to be satisfying. This is the beginning of that tension. You need money. We know that. I remember I was talking to a, a youth pastor years ago, and he's like, I hate money. I hate money. And I'm like, here's the reality. You can't hate money. Like, you have to have it. That's the way that our, our world works. Like, you have to have some money. You have to be able to eat. You have to be able to buy clothes. This is the way the system works. And until somebody comes up with something more brilliant, which I don't know what it would be, then we, we're dealing with it. So there's no reason to hate money. You can hate what money does to people. You can hate what money does to your own heart, right? But one of the things we have to realize in Solomon, who had more money than anybody, is looking at the investment that he made. He's, man, this is such a sad investment because it appears like, and you're going to keep saying this throughout the passage, and you can reread it, the more money I get, the more money I want. Why does that work? Like, why does that happen? The more money I get, the more money I want. There's something, um, I don't know if any, so I grew up in a family that um, liked to play cards and so on and so forth. And so this is just an analogy, right? So playing cards, and the more you win, the more you want to win, right? Then I became an athlete. And the more I got, I wanted to win, the more I won, the more this craving to win was embedded in me. You tasted it and you wanted it, right? Money does the same thing. And you're like, fine, curse me with it so I can see it, right? The reality is when you look at the wealthiest people in the world, you never see satisfaction. They never go, well, you know what? I have enough. Like, that's it. I'm done. Currently, there's a lot of, like, issues revolving around money in our world. I don't want to get into the politics of it. But what you find oftentimes is the more money you have, the more greedy you become for that money. The less generous you become. And it's weird. I want to play this into a church world for a second. Like, people will tell me, I can't afford, like, okay, I'm a covenant member, I can't afford to tithe. And my answer to that every, to everyone was, you can't afford not to, right? It's the only thing in Scripture where Jesus, where, like, God actually says, you can test me in this, because you can't outgive me, right? It's, we, we have this thing where we're like, I mean, I'll literally hear people, when I make more money, then I'll be more generous, 
I'm like, it's, it's not going to happen. I promise you it's not. It doesn't work that way. You get more money, you buy more stuff, you don't have any, you don't have any more extra. You get more money, you get more greed. It's a sad investment because there's never any satisfying to it. It just keeps eating at you. The next component that Solomon's going to go through, he's going to talk about not only is the love of money a sad investment, but it's also a bad investment, right? Look at verse 13. There is grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture, and his father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Jump down to verse, I can pick any of these. Uh Chapter 6, verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has a man over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Not only does it not satisfy, but it destroys. The love of money is such a sad investment because there's never an end to it. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Now, we can take money and stick anything into there. It can be power. It could be influence. It could be anything, right? And when we put all of our emotions and, and, every, and we begin to define ourselves by that, we're going to say, man, it's never going to satisfy. I reached a goal, but eh, I can push it more. Then we go, okay, it's a bad investment. Why? Because money is lonely. It's, you know, there was a movie in the 80s. It was called Can't Buy Me Love, right? And once again, I'm not going to endorse the movie. And I'm going to tell you right now, like movies nowadays people think are bad. Watch 80s movies. (laughs) They're rough. Like I remember like showing our kids, like I was like, Tanner was growing up and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to show him some of these movies. And one of them was The Goonies. You guys seen this movie? And then I, I threw it in and we're watching it. And I'm like, I don't remember how bad the language was in this movie. And I'm like, turn it off. And I'm like, why don't I remember that? And the reason is because we used to watch the TV versions of them. That was a big thing in the 80s, right? 80s movies are rough. I mean, the language is horrific. It's just bad, 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 bad. Right? And I don't know why I just told you that, but just anyway, just so you know, if you're growing up, the movies that you love, be careful what you show your kids. They're different than you remember. <laughs> Makes mistakes were made. Okay, so the reality is this it's a bad investment because you can't buy love with money, you can't buy friends with money. No matter how much money you have, And no matter how much you even try to spend it on people, even if you were attempting to be generous, you realize over time that it's a bad investment because it doesn't produce and can't, it doesn't profit you what you really need. So this movie, You Can't Buy Me, Can't Buy Me Love, it's accurate. No matter how much money you pay somebody, you can't pay somebody to love you. It doesn't work. You can't pay somebody to be a true friend. You can pay somebody to serve you. You can pay somebody to act like they care. You can pay people to fill your household like Solomon describes here. You can can pay, when he, he talks about here, 
that he had, you could have a hundred sons. You could have all of these children that surrounds you. And if you're vested in money, it's still a bad investment. Because ultimately, even the people that are around you will resent your greed. When we walk into the tensions of life, what we realize is that if we, if we fall, if we allow ourselves to fall one way or the other, it's either going to be a sad investment or a bad investment. Either way, it overwhelms us. Either way, it destroys us. So when we look at Solomon's words here and we say, he begins with, don't be surprised with the tensions that are going to exist. For example, the rich and the poor. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that, that people who get power also tend to love money and then will lord it over others because that's just what happens. And be careful not to covet what other people have when it comes to those things because you're watching. A lot of people say, I want to be the leader, right? Like, I want to lead. I want to be the boss. If I was the boss, I would do things different. You might do some things different. But you're going to get the same complaints from the people that are working for you that everybody else gets. Why? Because one, leaders aren't perfect. And two, you're going to make different mistakes than the leader that you were complaining about. In fact, one of the things that I've realized over time is oftentimes those who impacted you the worst as a leader, you have a tendency when you start leading people to go the exact opposite direction in full force. And you end up creating the exact same problem on the other end. So how do we balance? Because that's the whole point. If it's always going to be there in either direction, that we fall could really destroy us or hurt us, then what do we do? So here we go, verse 18 in chapter five. You ready? Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. So we begin to understand what Solomon's going to say to help us manage this tension. And part of it is be content. Some days you're going to, you might make it and you're going to say, man, I have all the money in the world. And some days you might say, man, I feel like I have nothing and I don't know what I'm going to eat today. And what Solomon begins this process in helping us handle this tension with is be content with your lot. This is so anti-American. This is so anti-world. You guys remember the stories of John the Baptizer? Dude lived in a cave. And he wore crazy clothes. And people looked at him and went, he is totally whacked out, right? He knew his mission. He knew his lot in life. He focused all of his energies on knowing that he was the precursor for the Savior to come. 
and he lived his life on purpose in, in purposeful joy. It, like I always process, I'm always trying to think through like, I know John the baptizer was also a dirty, rotten sinner who needed to be saved by grace, right? But can you imagine what he has said of, Lord, I'm not really interested in your plan for me. I want to do better. I don't want to wear animal skins any longer. I want Gucci. Right? Like, is that possible? Of course it is. There's a, a story in Scripture, several of them, where Jesus actually approaches an individual, and they're like, what do I need to do to follow you? And what they're really saying is, I feel like you're the person to follow. I want to follow you. And there's a specific story where Jesus says, what you need to do is go sell everything that you own and then turn and follow me. And what, is the, what does the guy do? He's like, oh, I can't do that. Do you realize what he was being offered? He was being offered a closeness to the Savior of the world an earthly friendship, access to Jesus himself. He was offered the same thing that some of the other disciples were offered. Follow me, right? And what did he do? Oh, the loss isn't worth the gain. Like, I've been working my whole life to, to achieve and to gain what I've been given, and I'm not certain. In fact, I know for a fact that me giving that up to follow you won't be worth it. When we read those stories, oftentimes I think what we do wrong is we sit back and go, what a fool. What a fool, right? Instead of going, I'm a fool. We do that all the time. It's so easy to see the foolishness in other people and so difficult to see it in our own hearts. What would happen right now if, say, the Christmas season, the people in just this room went, I'm going to be content with what I've got. I'm going to be content with what I've got. I'm going to look at what I have and, and look at the blessings that the Lord has given me. He's given me a church to fellowship with. He's given me family to be around. He's given me, we haven't gotten to the gospel yet. He's given me food to eat. I know that you have clothes because nobody, everybody in here is clothed. He's given me clothes to wear. He's given me shelter over my head. What would happen if instead of us as a people went, I have to get more. We went, I'm going to do everything I can to be as effective as I can with what I've got. What would happen? I think things would change. Because I see that in my own life. You know, when I said earlier that we're constantly complaining, like we can take the blessings of the Lord and even find the negatives in what Jesus blesses us with. Lord, I know that you gave me a job, but it's not the job that I want. Do you guys remember the story of Jonah? 
Jonah loved being a prophet of God, but when the message came that he didn't want to deliver, what did he do? I'm out. I don't want this one, right? Forget the blessings. Forget the opportunity. I'm not going to be content with what you've given me because my prejudices and my other issues within are are saying to me it's not worth the cost. I think that this lack of contentment that we typically have just as human beings prevents us from fulfilling that which the Lord has for us on a daily basis. I'm convinced of it. And I can only say that out of experience. We miss the moments. We're we're so discontent and we'll find such discontentment in anything that we actually miss the moments that the Lord provides for us right now. Then he keeps going. So he starts with contentment. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. It's not just contentment. It's actually realizing that contentment's a gift. That flips everything upside down. Because what we do is we go, fine, I'll be content. You want me to be content? Fine. I'll be content. Fine. I'll be content. I'm going to be content. I'm going to be bitter about it, but I'm going to be content. Right? And then he goes, okay, step two, take your contentment and see it as a blessing. Why? Because all attention goes away. It's interesting how we fight the blessings that he gives us. I talked last week about this idea of rest. The Lord actually gives us the blessing of rest. And we go, I don't want to rest. I want to keep going, right? And he goes, man, you're missing it. Like, be content in the rest. Be content in what I've given you. Be content in what you have. Be content in knowing that I'm sovereign. Be content and then view all of that as the actual blessing because most people outside of knowing Jesus can't be content. Do you realize that your ability to be content is only because of the gospel? Because you've already been given everything. But I want more. What if we weren't just content but our hearts pushed us to a place where we went, contentment is actually a gift. Doesn't stop there, step three. Verse 20, for he, will not, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. I love this verse. This verse should be memorized by every Christ follower. What is it saying? You're gonna go through a lot. You're going to go through a lot. The tensions are real. Tensions are real. But if you'll stay content, and you'll see contentment as the actual gift, then you're going to find that no matter what's going on around you, no matter what's happening in your life, you're not going to be focused on the tensions. You're going to be focused on the joy of the contentment. Whew, that's deep. It's deep. So he's saying, look, 
we're working for contentment, then we're working to understand that contentment is the actual blessing of life. And then when we are content, it produces joy that prevents us from being overwhelmed by the tension. That's, that's so wild. So how is all this possible? This is where it ties to the gospel. The only way we're able to do this is because of what Jesus has done. Jesus was, I guess one of the questions was, was Jesus content? And the answer was yes. He left everything. It's fascinating the process that he left for my sake and your sake what we keep saying we're trying to get to. And he left it. And we have verses in Scripture where it's like, man, I have nowhere to sleep. I have nowhere to lay my head. I'm content. Why? Because I know the Father. It's not... It's not, you don't see Jesus complaining about the fact that he didn't have enough to eat. You don't see Jesus complaining about the fact that he didn't have enough friends. You don't see Jesus going, man, I can't believe that Judas betrayed me. That's not his focus. His focus is, I have relationship with the Father, and I have a duty by the Father that's been given to me that I know is purposeful and meaningful because it comes from the Creator who is perfectly sovereign. And I'm going to do that with everything in me because that's what's most important. The the things that are going on around me aren't nearly as important as how my heart is being impacted by what the Lord has commanded me to do. And so I find contentment in following my Father. For those of us who know Jesus personally, our ultimate contentment is knowing that we have a Savior who purchased us and puts us on purpose, gives us mission, gives us the ability to allow, gives us the ability to participate in what he's doing in the world. And it's fascinating to me that in my own heart, I'm like, that's not enough. Isn't that crazy? Think about And you go, well, why isn't it enough? Because that's not where I'm defining my joy to be. I think that Solomon in this passage answers basically every question of the mystery of life. He's literally saying to us, contentment's the gift. Jesus is the reason we can be content. And you'll find joy in following. But you know what? The opposite is true as well. The only joy, Scripture makes this very clear, the only joy that we can have is when our contentment is placed in who Jesus is and what he's done, which means that though we attempt to find joy in other things, it will never create that which we, how we find contentment in Jesus. Never. Yet we keep trying, right? Well, that's not enough, so I need this. And then you get it, and what happens? It's not enough. It's got to be something else. And Jesus is like, I already gave it to you. I already gave it to you. You have life. You know me. You have access to the creator through Jesus. 
You have purpose. You have meaning. You, you understand that your lot in life doesn't really matter. It changes everything. It turns everything upside down, which Jesus, the gospel, always does. But you realize even the gospel has its tensions. We talk about the fact that Jesus on the cross, it's the perfect like tension between seeing, it's tension for us, it's not tension for God, tension between the justice of God and the love of God being shown at the exact same time. You want to talk about a paradox, right? That's tension. We take that tension and we can actually even apply that to the gospel because here's the reality. You have gospel need daily. You have gospel blessing daily. You can swing this to where your focus is only on gospel blessing, and you're going to find that you're going to create a God that becomes a vending machine for you. And over time, it's going to be very disappointing. And ultimately, what it leads to is, God, you're not doing it my way. And what is that saying? I have no contentment in this gospel. It's not enough. Or, well, and, and I think what I have found even in ministry is there's an arrogance that can come in thinking that it's all, that the gospel is all about blessing. Meaning, we actually have the ability to lean into the tension and say, yes, you died for me because I'm so valuable. Therefore, you need to do it my way. It creates arrogance, pride, a lack of understanding of who God actually is. The flip side's true as well, right? Because when we're only focused on gospel blessing, then we forget that we have daily gospel need. But if you only focus on gospel need and you forget the blessing, then you just become bitter. You become self-defeating. Your whole life is revolving around, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm constantly just a dirty, rotten sinner. And that's accurate. <laughs> We own that. We have gospel need every day. We are a dirty, rotten sinner. But we also have gospel blessing. The, the ability, true discipleship, is this ability to apply the gospel to every area of life and find the balance between going, I cannot believe what I have in the gospel and I cannot believe how messed up I am that I need it consistently. That's our tension. The gospel keeps us humble because we need it. Can't do anything without it. I have no ability. However, I have ability in Jesus. I have the ability to forgive. I have the ability to move forward. I have the ability to make impact. I have the ability to bring glory to Jesus. I have the ability because of the gospel in my contentment in it to actually experience the joy that I was created to experience. 
you also have the freedom to completely bankrupt that. I, this passage this week wrecked me in so many good ways. Because it forced me to go, where am I lacking content in the gospel that I think I need to add to it? God, you're not doing it the way that I want you to do it, therefore it must not be good. And he's like, stop it. Not your gospel, it's mine. Live in it. Be content in it. Enjoy the blessings that I give you as a result of it. So, for those of you who know Jesus, where are you lacking content in the gospel? You go, well, I don't know. Well, where is it not enough? Where is it not enough? That's how you know. Flip side's true as well. I get tired of people saying, here's gospel opportunity, here's gospel blessing, but I'm not going to accept it because you know what I need? I'm not worthy to accept that. I, I need to pray about it more. I'm going to use Jesus as an excuse not to even benefit from the blessing that the gospel gives me. And he's like, don't do that. Don't use me as an excuse. Some of you feel so defeated that you've lost the joy of the gospel. Kevin, if you knew what I did, I know what you did. I may not know the specifics, but I know what I've done. Dirty, rotten sinner. Dirty, rotten sinner. I know what goes on in my head, so I know what goes on in your head. I'm probably worse. So we can be defeated by that and ignore the blessing and be ineffective and not be filled with joy. And then ultimately what we render is the gospel powerless as a witness to others. Why would I want your gospel? You're miserable. There's no joy in that. These, one of the classics is this, and you'll hear this a lot. Christ followers saying things like, here's just an example, and you can fill in the blanks with the other stuff. I love lost people more than I love Christ followers. That's brutal. You know why people say stuff like that? Because they're not content with the family that God's given them. They don't see it as a blessing. I mean, that's common to hear nowadays. And I it, it moves into, well, I'm religious, but I don't like church. God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't deserve it. I don't, I, whatever it means. I, it's possible for us to actually treat the gospel as if it's a bad investment or a sad investment, depending on how we handle the pain. Regardless, it's not. It's perfect. But it's how we handle the tension. Some of you in here need to make the decision to say, 
I may not like who I am. I may not be satisfied with how the Lord's functioned. I, I don't understand and I just feel miserable, but the reality is I have Jesus and he died for me and that's enough. Some of you need to just own that. You need to stop putting whatever it is, your issues, your personal issues, whatever it is, and, and having that overpower the joy of the gospel in your life. Others of you are the exact opposite. You need to stop treating God like he's a vending machine and he's here to do what you want him to do. You need to stop sitting back and going, I mean, think about your prayer life. Are you praising him more in your prayer life or asking for things more in your prayer life? Are you degrading people in your prayer life? I love it when people pray complaints. I'm just like. I mean, you realize, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'll close with this. There's tension. <laughs> There's a solution to the tension. If you're here today and you've never accepted the gospel, you're gonna live in that tension with no joy for the rest of your life. So your solution is to begin this process of understanding who Jesus is and allowing him to take your heart and change it by putting your faith and trust in him and him alone. That's where it begins. But I really feel like this is more poignant for the church, for us to really question how we're handling tensions? Are we okay with being in the midst of tension consistently because Jesus has already won? I think we forget the outcome is already there. I said this weeks ago, but I'll remind you of it. We're constantly living as if we're trying to produce a victory instead of living from the point of victory. Jesus is already one. We find contentment in that. If he chooses for you to be poor and not effective by your standard, but you find joy in the gospel, that's celebrating the victory. If he chooses that you're going to be extremely wealthy and impactful, just like anybody else, you can bankrupt that too. Your job is to find joy and contentment in it. Either way, whatever your lot is in life, as Solomon says, we're to find contentment and joy. And here's, here's the hardest part. I'm just telling you this. Whichever way you tend to lean, the problem is, is you can, if you lean into the blessings of life then I promise you that your test in life is constantly going to be that you're not going to receive the blessings that you think that you deserve. You know why? Because God's going, you're not content with what you have, so I'm not gonna give you more responsibility. If you're over here and saying, I can't do it, I'm not worthy, I'm, you're not, no one is, and you're, constantly in this depression and finding the issues and and then lord why am i not being effective because you're not focusing on the joys of the gospel and the blessings that he's already given you the end result is it's a heart issue it's a heart issue 
if you know Jesus. You can quote me on this, write this down. If you take nothing from everything that I've said, this is it. You ready? If you know Jesus, joy is a choice. No one can steal it. No one can impact it. You choose every day to wake up because the Holy Spirit lives in you to either be joyful in the gospel or to despise it. It's a choice. And nobody around you can make that choice for you. The church can't, your spouse can't, your kids can't, your work can't, things can't. You just make the choice to say the gospel's enough because it is. And you live in joy. If you're lacking joy and you know Jesus, you're missing it. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing another song. I want to provide you guys some opportunity to process. The, the series that we're moving into in Christmas, we're calling When Joy Came. And when I say this leads directly into it, this is the hard part. As we celebrate the joy that Jesus brings, we need to understand that even though he brings joy, we still have to choose it. The purpose of the gospel was to bring you joy and him glory, not to make you miserable. So what needs to change? So, as we sing, I would encourage you, maybe what you need to do is just worship in song with everything in you. Maybe you need to talk to somebody and pray through a tension that you know has overwhelmed you and you're not applying the gospel to. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to commit to the Lord that you're going to choose joy in the lot that you've currently been given and be content. Maybe you need to have a personal conversation with someone in here that there needs to be some resolution because there's no joy in that relationship. Whatever it is, I'm just encouraging you to respond. You can come forward and pray. Scott and Bridget will be over here. They'll love to pray with you if you need help with something. But don't leave here the same. What's the point? Like, why come here and leave the same? We're reminded that the gospel takes care of everything. Let it. Choose joy. God, thank you for your word. Or as hard as this is, it's such a privilege. It's crazy to think that we actually know you and we've accepted your gift and then we find ourselves miserable in it and have a lack of contentment. Lord, I... I don't know what more you can do. You've already done so much. You've lived the life that we were supposed to live. You've died the death that we deserve. You've conquered sin, Satan, and death forever, and you give us the ability to live joy-filled lives with contentment in you. Lord, I, forgive us for not allowing that to happen. Remind us of the blessings of the gospel. Remind us of our need for the gospel on a daily basis. 
Lord, I pray that your church would find itself content and filled with joy as we enter this merry season. And Lord, I pray that joy would be contagious. Lastly, I just wanna lift up any person in here, Lord, that has never given their life to Christ. I ask that you would regenerate their heart right now. Lord, that you'd remove that heart of stone. You'd give them a heart of flesh. You would help them to understand that the pursuit of joy that they're on will never be satisfied. And Lord, I pray that you would give them courage and boldness. I pray for courage and boldness for all of us to take the steps that are necessary to stop living miserable, pride-filled, uncontent lives. Lord, thank you for the gospel. May we live in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.